Hello, and welcome to the Orthopod. My name is Liam Fernando Canavan. I'm a medical student at the University of Melbourne, and this is a podcast where I'll take a history from experts in orthopaedic and musculoskeletal medicine. Stryker Corporation is a multinational company listed on the Fortune 500 with over 43,000 staff globally. Stryker was founded in 1941 by an orthopaedic surgeon, Dr. Homer Stryker, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where their headquarters remain today. Stryker are one of the world's leading medical technology companies and they offer a range of medical, orthopaedic and neurosurgical products and services designed to help improve patient and hospital outcomes. Today I'm joined by Mr. Ulrich Gunnar, the Chief Engineer in Research and Development of Stryker's Asia-Pacific region, specialising in orthopaedic oncology and robotics. Uli is a specialist in product development, launch and lifecycle management, as well as medical device software. Welcome to the Orthopod, Uli. Morning, Liam. So Stryker manufacture all sorts of screws, rods, plates and drills to help orthopaedic surgeons fix broken bones. But after years and years of training, people will still call orthopaedic surgeons glorified carpenters. So how does the uh, equipment that Stryker manufacture, other than being sterile, differ to the things that I can get at a hardware store? Yeah, great question. <clears throat> I like the uh, glorified carpenters uh, <laughs> theme here. Uh, well, at, at Stryker, I think quality is everything we do. Um, so uh, we, we are really driven to make healthcare better for our customers by providing innovative products and services that meet the regulatory uh, requirements. And I think uh, the regulatory requirements um, and the standards we have to follow is uh, the, the biggest difference compared to what you can get in a hardware store. Um, so first of all, uh, our products, they must be safe and effective. If a product is not safe and effective, you can't even get it cleared that it uh, can, can get into a surgeon's hands. Compared to products you can buy in a hardware store, medical device development is strictly regulated. If you develop a medical device or an implant, Stryker has a quality system that basically guides you along the process to meet all these requirements. And the, the goal is to make the right product. Um, so that's the product that actually fulfills the user needs, but also to make the product right. Um, so that's the requirement that all the regulatory needs are met. For many years, especially before coming to Australia in June 2018, I worked for Stryker out of the Freiburg facility in southwest Germany. And Stryker Freiburg is a large multidivisional R&D site, as well as it, as it uh, is a manufacturing plant. So if you have an opportunity to get into a Stryker plant, I would definitely recommend to have a look. Um, it might be different from what you would expect. So when you go into the Stryker plant in Freiburg, you will see the plant is very clean, it's well structured and organized, and you would see screens and charts everywhere next to the CNC machines and the, the, the long lathes and the, the, the titanium stock that's there and, and everything that you would you would see on a on a regular metal plant floor. But you, you will also see that the charts everywhere to visualize key operational measures are right now and what's currently produced. So everything that goes into products um, in Striker is tracked and traceable. And our suppliers that are required to make the products are managed and developed to fulfill the same high standards that Stryker follows. So that's quite different, I think, to um, what you would see in a regular manufacturing for non-medical devices. So how do they get from, say, Freiburg in Germany to Australia? So um, Stryker has many plants worldwide. We are not producing products in Australia yet. But there are a huge um, logistic facilities, uh, storage, where basically all the uh, different striker plants worldwide ship their products to the distribution centers. And then if you 
let's say you need a product here in, in, in Melbourne, in Victoria, you would, you would uh, place an order with Striker in Sydney. And um, let's say if Striker Sydney does not have it on stock and most things uh, uh, used in Australia and, and uh, that are regulatory cleared in Australia will be on stock here. Uh, but if, if it's not here on stock, it will be requested from another um, Striker division and, um, or plant and then will be shipped to Australia and then finds its way into the hospital. Especially for for um, uh, products that are on on high demand here, and uh, Striker has a, a specific service here in, in Asia Pacific that uh, surgeons can can basically request products to, to be delivered within minutes into hospitals in the Sydney area, for example, where there are several hospitals in the in the, in the close vicinity of the uh, logistics center. If a, if a hospital has something not on shelf, they need urgently, they can get it within minutes delivered uh, on a on a special order. So, um, yeah, many, many things that say uh, I implemented to really um, make products available and, and provide the best service as possible there. Yeah, well, I guess when you've got 40,000 staff globally, logistics are probably not, not a big problem as to some smaller companies. So Strike is probably best known for their role in orthopedic surgery and specifically joint replacements. So when it comes to a conventional joint replacement, what are some of the products that Strike a manufacture for arthroplasty surgeons? Uh, yes, I think Striker is well known in orthopedic surgery, but but in fact, um, uh, you will find our products everywhere, in in and outside of the OR, in a hospital, as well as in uh, ambulatory care centers. So Striker Orthopedics, so knees, hips, trauma, and extremities products, um, uh, they, they actually make roughly one third of Striker's overall business. And uh, surgical equipment, like in, instruments, power tools, endoscopy equipment, medical equipment, beds, stretchers, and even the OR suites, um, they actually have an even larger part of, of Striker's business. And then also neurotechnology and spinous is continually growing and uh, has, a, has a growing share as well. But historically, I guess uh, Striker's best known joint replacement products are the triathlon knee, the trident hip cups, uh, the Accolade 2 uh, hip stem, which is a cementless hip stem. And I guess you maybe have heard of the uh, Exeter stem, which is, I think, the, one of the most famous Striker um, products with a, over 50 years of clinical history and uh, a proven system. And the cementless systems, uh, like the, uh, the triathlon knee and the trident hip cup, they uh, make use of additive manufacturing uh, technology. Um, and they have ingross uh, surfaces that, that are known as Striker's Tritanium Advanced Fixation Technology. And uh, this bone interface is made of commercially pure titanium, a biologically uh, compatible material. And the porous structure that's fostering bone ingrowth is uh, closely resembles the structure of uh, trabecular bone. And then I would say more recently, um, and, and for several years now, Strikers Make a Robot is leading in the field of orthopedic robotics, and it's really well known. Uh, so Striker uh, Mako really changed the way orthopedic surgeons can achieve consistent superior results in knee and, and hip surgery. And I think Mako might be the most exciting product for surgeons to work with right now. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I was looking forward to talking to you about because it wasn't that long ago that um, I wandered into an orthopedic surgery with Mr. Matt Alexander, who I've interviewed on the podcast before. And he was doing a, a hip replacement and it was actually the first robotic assisted hip surgery that was ever done at the Austin hospital where I'm doing my training. From my point of view, it was, you know, it was the first time I'd even seen an operation, let alone a robotic assisted hip surgery. So it was pretty full on, but um, having seen a few now, I, I sort of find it hard to understand why people wouldn't use the robotic assisted approach aside from the robot itself being expensive and the training required to use it. But 
well, you know, from your point of view, you've been involved in the designing of these sorts of things and, and the implication of the products. What actually is robotic assisted surgery? And could you talk about how the MAKO system actually works? Yeah, I would say compared to traditional knee and hip surgery, where physical guides or manual alignment is used to perform a cut or to uh, line a rema, for example, in hip, um, the MAKO robot guides the surgeon based on an individual preoperative plan. And um, this plan is generated by the surgeon based on the uh, preoperative CT images of the patient. So the first, the first step is to get a volumetric image data set uh, that's used for the um, segmentation of the bone to really get all the information that you can get out of a CT. So Stryker calls uh, Mako Robot Assisted Surgery Mako Smart Robotics. And um, Mako Smart Robotics combines three key components. So the first one is this 3D CT-based planning. And the second one is the uh, so-called AccuStop haptic technology, which is uh, guiding the surgeon and, and uh, limiting the surgeon's range during performing of a cut in the OR. So haptic guidance basically creates a virtual boundary for the surgeon, a virtual guide to align uh, a saw blade, for example, in knee surgery or the reamer in hip surgery. And it will make sure that the surgeon can mill and, and cut the bone, protecting the um, the bone and the soft tissue of the patient that shouldn't be cut. And the robot is basically providing that virtual guidance. And last but not least, the, um, the third component is inside full data analytics. And all this is combined into one platform, which, uh, which is actually shown better outcomes for total hip, total knee, and partial knee patients. So as I said, it all starts with the um, CT scan that creates a 3D image of the patient. And uh, this information allows the surgeon to create their patient-specific plan and in knee, for example, assess and balance the joint. Uh, for everything the CT scan allows the surgeon to do and to know about the patient, Mako's AccuStop haptic guidance technology guides the surgeon to cut what they have planned. And that's precisely for each patient. And I think that's the biggest difference. It's um, part, of, part of the success and the superior results using, using the Mako robot is their preoptive plan that really makes uh, an anthropotic execution actually that helps to precisely uh, follow that plan. <clears throat> and for some patients, that means that uh, preserving of soft tissues. For others, that means, for example, saving healthy bone. So throughout the procedure, uh, surgeons and their surgical staff receive real-time data, allowing them to continually assess ligament tension uh, throughout the range of motion and also implant articulation. And it helps them to avoid uh, inadvertent transaction of vital structures. So that's, that's, I think, the, the, the key functionality using robotic surgery in orthopedics. I just wanted to go back to the haptic guidance because that can be a bit of a confusing concept. But at the same time, if, if people can make sense of what that means, it really does um, illustrate the benefit of this software. So that the haptic guidance is like if you have a CT scan of, say, the acetabulum and you want to ream the acetabulum, I don't know, some, some millimetres deep, the robot knows how deep you're going and it won't let you go beyond that, that boundary. Is that right? Exactly. That's right. Yes. So de depending on the surgical task that's uh, supported by the robot, the, the haptic guidance creates this virtual boundary. And yeah, you could, you could basically um, derive from the, from the image data a virtual representation of your axis. So how the robot gets into the start position. So you could imagine basically you, you grab the anti-factor or the surgeon grabs the anti-factor. The robot is back drivable. That means the surgeon can basically, like a normal uh, cutting tool, take the uh, saw at the end of the robotic arm and drive it and, and, and move it towards the, 
start position. And while the, the surgeon is actually moving the tool to, towards the start position, the haptic guidance technology will basically guide and align the cutting blade or the reamer in, in hip along the pre-planned axis so that the surgeon does not have to eyeball or uh, physically align it. The, the robotic arm basically automatically, like almost magically, guides the surgeon's instrument into that uh, start position. And then when the surgeon actually, the surgeon still has full control to start the cutting process as well as to push the saw blade or push the reamer towards the, the bone. So to fully control that cutting or milling process. But uh, while the surgeon is actually pushing, and moving the, the the cutting tool, the robot will actually restrict the the space um, that the tool can reach based on the preoperative plan. And um, as I said, it's a back drivable system. The surgeon can always take the instrument or, or move the instrument back and again push it towards the bone. But if the pre-planned margins of that cut have been reached, the robot would not allow him to to go further. And that would that allows basically the surgeon to really stop where the even in critical areas where the soft tissue margins are to not go into an area that let's say of of bone as well as soft tissue that shouldn't be cut. Um, and as you said in um, the depth, for example, for the reamer in, in hip surgery is one of these restrictions. So the system exactly knows how deep the reamer can go uh, based on the pre-surgical plan and will will basically stop and, and, and push against the surgeon if the surgeon tries to go deeper. Yeah, it's a bit like having the bumpers up if you go 10-pin bowling. <laughs> you can't make, any, can't make any mistakes. It's really pretty pretty cool stuff. But it is expensive. However, we know that robotic-assisted joint replacement surgery, particularly uni-compartmental knee replacements, is cost-effective if there's a high-volume hospital, so something like the Austin or, or maybe St. Vincent's or one of the big metropolitan hospitals here in Melbourne. But people still do the conventional approach to, to replace joints. Uh, what would you say to the people who argue you can get the same patient outcomes by replacing a joint without robotic-assisted surgery? Yeah, I would I would encourage them to consult uh, the many publications that are out there um, that really provide useful information uh, to payers, healthcare facilities, as well as healthcare providers to assess the clinical and economic value of uh, Mako Smart Robotics. So the Mako the Mako total knee application, for example, in comparison to manual techniques, has been shown in cadaveric and in clinical settings to have increased accuracy and precision of component placement to plan. So features of Mako Smart Robotics that have contributed to these outcomes uh, include preoperative 3D planning, which takes into account each patient's specific anatomy and the Equisorb haptic guidance technology that we talked about, which really enables the surgeon to ex execute according to their plan. And I think um, yeah, when you search for uh, MAKO or MAKO Smart Robotics in, in literature, you will find several studies that provide the evidence that this robotic technology helps to have consistently better outcomes. So moving on from the Mako robotic system, one of your major roles at Stryker was in the NeuroSpine program and developing the SpineMap 3D software. What is SpineMap 3D and how does a company like, like Stryker develop innovative software? The, the Neuro and Spine program uh, is, is a program that, that I was in charge of in my times in Germany. And actually, that's, that's where I grew up with within Stryker. The image-guided surgery is, is, is basically about um, preoperative images like uh, CT and MRIs, um, but also uh, functional MRIs um, or even PET scans to enable surgeons to, locali to localize their instruments during surgery. So basically, um, what you can achieve with image-guided surgery is that you um, 
you can use the preoperative volumetric image data to do a 3D plan of your surgical procedure. In spine map, for example, in, in spine, that's typically, or one of the applications where it's typically use this uh, pedicle screw placement for lumbar fixation surgery. And the, the challenge in, in pedicle screw placement is that you would like to have a, 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 a screw put through the pedicle along the bony pedicle canal and you have uh, several critical structures like vessels and the, the spinal cord in, in close vicinity to that pedicle. So you want to make sure that you get all the support and, and guidance needed to get this, the screw in with, without breaking through the pedicle. So uh, let's say, what are, what are the surgeon's options? What you could do in image-guided surgery is you can use a C-arm and let's say align your instrument on the pedicle in, in open spine surgery and uh, take, a, take a, a lateral X-ray, take the posterior-anterior X-ray and, and check whether your alignment of your instrument is going through the pedicle and, and get the screw in that way. But that's quite invasive because, first of all, you, it has to be then open surgery. And also, um, you have that uh, X-ray dose that you need for every single screw that you w want to get in, right? So that's an uh, additional risk for the patient to, to get uh, more radiation than needed. And... Um, Using preoperative data um, and using a preoperative CT, yes, that's also is the X-ray that's required for the CT. But you can do actually you can you can create a complete plan, putting multiple screws in virtually in the in the CT, and then you use basically an optical tracking system to um, register the the bone of or the the, the location of each vertebra. So um, you basically touch off points, surface points. That's actually something you do in robotic surgery as well. A process called registration. And then once you have the uh, registration achieved, you can use the, the tip of the instrument, point to an anatomical structures and see on the screen in the CT or MRI data where your tip is um, and how your instrument is actually aligned to the pedicle. And this technology can then be used to, um, for example, get a, a screw through the pedicle canal without or with a, with a high likelihood not to hurt any of the critical structures around them. Um, Let's say how, how we develop these systems. Um, yeah, a, lo a lot of this is um, um, software development and especially the uh, development of software working with medical images. So a rendering software, as well as um, interfacing with the required hardware, like our optical tracking systems. And actually Stryker owns the op optical tracking technology. So the systems that we uh, and, I, and I worked on and uh, SpineMap used, used the Stryker optical uh, tracking technology yeah and then uh, it's there's there's uh, let's say as as all of the larger software projects it's a real teamwork uh, approach so we have software teams that use an agile software development process uh, to step by step create the functionality and add the functionality re that's required to um, fulfill the the surgical needs and uh, yeah it's it's and that was actually one thing that i really like and still like about working in R&D for Stryker. It's a very close collaboration actually with surgeons to fully understand the needs, get into the OR as, as often as possible to, to really know how the OR environment looks like and what you have to uh, consider in designing your device that it really works well in the, in the OR environment. So I think it's a, let's say, uh, developing a medical device and developing spine map and then all, also the robotic devices is, is um, or a really interesting uh, let's say engineering challenge because it's not just the technology part it's also the the understanding the user needs understanding the medical background understanding the anatomical and and and, and, and critical structures and then combine all this in a medical device that really works well for the surgeon yeah medicine is not just doctors and nurses and 
ward clerks and all the people in the hospital. <laughs> there are engineers and roboticists out there who are doing this sort of stuff to create the equipment that people use in the hospital. Um, and, you know, medical students probably think they're it's pretty hard learning all the anatomy and all that sort of stuff. But it sounds like you have to do that too, on top of knowing all these, you know, computer technology and physics and all that sort of stuff that we probably put behind us as medical students in high school. I know I certainly did. And just last, one last question. One of the people I interviewed a couple of weeks ago was Associate Professor Claudia Dibella, who's a, a bone tumour surgeon. And that seems to be one of the most challenging surgeries in all of orthopaedics. Um, that is limb salvage surgery. So removing the bone tumour, but preserving the limb so that you don't need to do an amputation. And Strike has been working on a big project at the moment with the University of Melbourne, RMIT, um, Sydney University, University of Technology, Sydney, St. Vincent's Hospital, and the Innovative Manufacturing Cooperative Research Centre here in Melbourne, the IMCRC. And that project involves helping orthopaedic oncologists like Prof Associate Professor Dibella avoid having to amputate patients' legs that do have bone tumours in situations where they might not be able to use in a conventional approach. So what can you tell me about this just-in-time project that Strike is working on to help bone tumour surgeons? The uh, IMCSC Just-in-Time Bone Tumour Project is, is really about combining the um, additive manufacturing for medical, for, for patient-specific implants with robotic surgery to, to take um, bone tumours out. And yeah, that's, uh, that's actually the... The, the, the reason why I'm in Australia, the, is I, I had the opportunity in end of the end of 2017 when the, the IMCSC project actually has been initiated by uh, Professor Peter Chung from St. Vincent's Hospital, uh, Professor Milan Brandt from the Additive Manufacturing Precinct of the RMIT University and Stryker. And um, let's say they came together with this idea, how, how can we create a, a better treatment pathway for uh, bone tumor patients combining additive technology, pre-surgical planning, let's say for patient-specific implants, and uh, robotic surgery. And uh, the hypothesis for the IMCSC project is that combining these technologies, we can basically, and that's what we would like to, we would like to generate the evidence for this, we can create reconstruction or an implant for uh, bone tumor patients that will allow surgeons to save healthy bone uh, provide an implant that quickly integrates with the, with the remaining healthy bone of the patient. And uh, we really try to enable the surgeon to do a limb sparing surgery uh, wherever possible by minimizing the margins and allow the surgeon to use robotic technology to, to remove the bone tumor with a safe oncological margin, but still, let's say, enable to preserve function. So I think this is, this is really... Uh, um, the, the primary goal of the project to, 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 to combine these technologies uh, to have better outcomes for bone tumor patients. And, um, and that's quite different to what we used uh, to do in, in, let's say, a typical R&D process or, or, or program. Uh, here, we not only, let's say, worked on the technological solution, let's say, the, the planning software for the uh, resection of the, of the bone tumor, the design of that implant, and the robotic procedure. Uh, we also, uh, in the beginning, thought about, let's say, how will this change the overall treatment journey for the patient? So we really had a look to the overall treatment journey uh, and the different stakeholders uh, involved in osteosarcoma treatment. And that really starts, let's say, it starts with the surgeon, with the patient, 
with the different stakeholders within Stryker, as well as the allied health services and other stakeholders within the hospital that are part of that overall bone tumor treatment journey. And um, uh, we not only thought about, and we not only want to get the evidence that the techn technological solution uh, will provide better outcomes, we also uh, had a look to the health economic impact of the overall new way uh, to use patient-specific implants and, and combine it with robotic treatment. So a very exciting process uh, and, and, and project. Um, and this is, this is what we call concept development. So we, we are trying to, to get this and, and commercialize this in, in the upcoming years. But as a, as a first step, we want to make sure that the, we have the evidence, basically, that we can have superior outcomes uh, using specific kind of patient-specific implants. And uh, one thing that we brought in here in the project is a new type of what we call a lattice-structured implants that modulates the stiffness and uh, resembles the stiffness of the healthy bone of the patient uh, to achieve better osteointegration of the implant into the bone. And uh, we are currently in a, stage, in a stage in the project where we uh, do a clinical, a preclinical um, study to create the evidence that actually this, this type of patient-specific uh, stiffness-modulated implant works and, uh, and provides better outcomes in terms of osteointegration compared to a solid uh, additive-manufactured titanium implant. So a lot of a lot of aspects actually come together. It's a, it's a quite complex pro uh, overall project, but um, yeah, very exciting. And um, I think it's that that's what what really makes this um, I think uh, also a great experience for Striker to work closely with 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 several university partners in a more or less um, I would say open innovation setting here is is what makes this this project different to anything else that I've done in product development with a Striker before. Wow. So these, when, when you say patient specific, it, it's literally if someone has, you know, because a tumor can grow randomly, the, the implant that you design for the patient is special just for that patient based on, say, a CT scan or something. Patient specific here means that really we, and, and uh, we, we make use of the volumetric preoperative images that come with the patient. So um, the tumor surgeon sends the patient through, through a specific protocol of, of, of different image modalities that allows the surgeon to exactly identify where uh, the bone tumor or what's the extent of the bone tumor. And then based on, on that um, image data, the surgeon can, and, and, the, uh, and knowing the exact type of tumor, the surgeon can basically add a margin to the extent of the tumor in in the in the um, patient's image space and and use this information to exactly define a void that has to be taken or a, a, a mass that has to be taken out during surgery and after this this exact resection geometry has been defined the surgeon will use in collaboration with with the striker software will create a, a, a plan for the robot how the volume that needs to be removed the tumor tissue and the margin can be taken out using the robot and uh, the resection of that um, bone tumor is then really exactly planned based on on that required uh, tissue that has to be taken out and it, it creates a void uh, in the bone of the patient uh, that needs to be reconstructed and the patient specific implant now is let's say um, an implant that has been specifically designed for the loading condition of that specific area that needs to be reconstructed in the bone uh, it takes into account the um, weight, height of the patient, as well as the density of that bone. And all that information can be derived from the CT data. And it's then um, 
designed and manufactured in a way that it precisely fits into the defect that's created by the robot during surgery. So it's a very strong combination, basically, to, to have a patient-specific implant design that tries to maximize the remaining function of the reconstructed bone and the robotic procedure that can precisely create that void that the implant fits in. And the hypothesis that we need to... Um, show in the in the concept development project here is that the precision we can achieve using the robotic resection and the patient-specific implant design really leads to an integration of that implant into bone and has the, the proper strengths and as well as stiffness properties that are required to make this um, a lifelong solution for, for a patient um, uh, with the implant. And, and just quickly, you mentioned osseo-integration, so the bone actually grows through the implant. Uh, yes, uh, the implants that we work with in the preclinical study here have a so-called porous or lattice layer towards the bone, which is um, from a let's say density and 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 uh, or an, an, a structure that should foster bone to actually grow through this structure, so that the implant integ integrates uh, with with the bone over time and. Um, the theory is that the closer we can get, or the, the smaller we can get the gap in between the actual resection of the bone and the implant, the quicker the, the bone and the osteons actually can grow into the implant and provide proper fixation of, of the implant. It's a little bit like the uh, stri striker uh, titanium technology that's used on our off-the-shelf um, triathlon knee, for, for example, as a, as a cementless fixation technology. But uh, in, in within the MCSC project, actually, we use our own uh, lattice-structured uh, geometry as a boning growth surface. Wow. So you take a picture of the bone, you use a robot to cut that out specifically as, as, as seen on the image, and then you put in a, a patient-specific implant that then the bone can grow back through as, as was before the tumour. That's um, exactly that's wow. <laughs> that's pretty cool stuff. Hopefully we get to see that in action soon. It sounds amazing. Um, Ollie, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you. Thanks to Strike as well for supporting the, the student podcast that we're running here at the at SOMA, the Orthopod. Yeah. And hopefully we have a chance to chat again in the future about some more exciting technologies. Yep. Thank you, Liam, for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Orthopod. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by the handle at somagradgroup or on our website somagradgroup.com. See you in the next episode.